You are listening to the Hill City Church Podcast. Our mission is to become and make disciples who walk with God, connect with people, and impact the world. Thanks for tuning in to the Hill City Church Podcast. Today is the first teaching in our summer teaching series going through the letter to the Ephesians. I'm super excited for how God is going to use this in the life of our church. And so today we're actually going to be doing something a little bit different. Today I'm just going to be teaching through uh, an overview for the letter to the Ephesians. And we'll really only be covering the first two verses of Ephesians chapter 1. But before we do that, we're actually going to be able to listen to uh, a story called Saul's Story from Vantage Stories. Uh, this is a first-person narrative. We've done a few of these before. It's a telling of a Bible story from the perspective of that Bible character. So Saul, or Paul, is the author to the, to the letter to the Ephesians. So that's going to be super helpful. Uh, this is actually uh, Andrew, our family pastor, my brother Andrew, who is going to be playing the role of Saul. And uh, he leads Vantage Stories. It's a storytelling company. They make videos. Uh, I even have a part to play in helping with research and writing. And uh, I know you're listening to the podcast right now, but you can always watch these videos. They're free resources. And you can find out more about Vantage at vantagestories.com. With that in mind, let's go ahead and jump in to Saul's story. My name's Saul, but you can call me Paul. I know two first names, that's a little strange. Allow me to explain. See, I was born in the city of Tarsus to a couple of very devout Jewish parents who made sure that from the time I was very young, I went to school and memorized the Torah. You know, the first five books of the Old Testament. Yeah, all in my head. I quickly rose to the top of my class, and before long, I was handpicked by one of the most famous rabbis in the land to be his student. He picked me, Saul, over all my other classmates because, well, I was the best. I knew my Torah better than anyone. I was a Jew above all other Jews. And I wasn't even just Jewish. I'm also a Roman citizen. Now, this was a privilege that not many of my friends shared with me. But because I came from a wealthy family, I inherited my citizenship from my father. So I could go places only Romans could go. I could do things only Romans could do. And along with all the other perks and privileges of being a Roman citizen, I was also given a new name, Paulus, or Paul for short. So that's me, a man with two names. To my Jewish friends, I was Saul. To the Roman officials, I was Paul. And life was pretty good living in both worlds. I could travel anywhere. I could do business with anyone. But I always kind of hated it when people called me Paul. Not just because I didn't want to be associated with the corrupt Romans, but because Paul in Greek means small. I much preferred to go by my Hebrew name. You see, Saul was the name of the first king of Israel, and he was anything but small. He was taller, stronger, more handsome than anyone in the land. Just sharing his name made me feel like Jewish royalty. And I basically was. 
When your teacher's a famous rabbi, people start to recognize you. People start to know who you are. And I liked it. I liked that people knew my name. I was proud to be called Saul. But then one day there was a different name on people's lips. Jesus. He was this new rabbi in town that everyone was talking about. God was only about my age, and he already had disciples of his own. And not just a few, but hundreds of people followed him around, making all sorts of outrageous claims. People calling him a prophet. Others thought he might be the Messiah. A few even worshipped him as if he was God. Can you believe that? How stupid can people get? A man being treated like God? That was blasphemy. Jesus was just a regular guy like me. No less important than me. He came from the hick town of Nazareth. His father was a poor carpenter that never amounted to anything. He didn't have any money. He didn't train under a famous rabbi. Jesus was a nobody from nowhere. But I was jealous. I wanted people to talk about me the way they talked about him. I hated him. I just wanted him to go away. And I didn't have to wait too long before some of my friends took care of business. Some of my fellow Jews made contact with one of his closest followers and convinced him to betray his master and hand him over. By the end of the night, the high priest ordered that Jesus be killed. It was about time. Someone did something. This foolishness had gone on long enough. And the next morning, Jesus was handed over to the Romans for a proper criminal execution. Now, the Romans had their flaws, but they were masters of death. And their crowning achievement was crucifixion. It allowed them to inflict the maximum amount of pain and humiliation on their victims while keeping them alive as long as humanly possible. But Jesus deserved it. So they tore him apart with whips made of bone and glass. They, they shoved a crown of thorns on his head like he was some kind of king. And then they marched him up a hill and nailed him into a cross and hung him out in front of the whole city for the world to see him for what he really was. A false prophet, another dead end, an empty promise. A sign above the cross read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Did people really still think that this was our king? I mean, if this was God, why didn't he come down off of that cross and show us? I'll tell you why. He couldn't. He was just a man. And he hung there helpless until he died. And so that was that. Or so I thought. A few days after Jesus had been buried, I began to hear rumors People saying that they had seen him alive 
Are you kidding me? After everything, after Jesus was put in that tomb, I thought he would finally leave me alone. Oh, but it gets worse. Groups gathered to talk about him. Fellow Jews prayed to him. They even baptized each other in his name, forming this new religion, this cult. They called themselves the way. Well, I wasn't about to stand by and watch as the God of our ancestors was betrayed like this. So I made it my mission, my life's work to stamp out this foolishness wherever it started. Now, the name Saul would strike fear into the hearts of anyone foolish enough to associate themselves with Jesus Christ. For years, I hunted them down. Day after day, I stood by and watched as they were beaten, thrown in prison, and killed. And every night, I thanked God for using me to rid the world of these liars and lunatics. But of all the men and women that I rested over the years, there's one face I can't get out of my head. A young man named Stephen had been brought before the Jewish high court for questioning. His crime? Blasphemy, like all the others. But unlike the others, when he was asked to give a defense for his charges, he spoke without fear. He spoke of our forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He told stories of Moses and the Israelites. This kid clearly knew his Torah. He even reminded me a bit of myself. And the more he spoke, the more I found myself agreeing with almost everything he had to say. Right up until he mentioned Jesus. He pointed at us, pointed at me, and shouted, You have betrayed and murdered the righteous one. At that, the whole courtroom was thrown into chaos. Judges rushed at him, dragged him out of the court, dragged him out of the city, and started throwing rocks at him. The poor kid had sealed his fate. The whole time, Stephen just prayed. And with each hit, his body became more broken and more bloodied until finally he fell to the ground and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. I couldn't believe it. His final words were a prayer for the men who were killing him. I seem to recall Jesus saying something similar. What made these people so crazy? What was wrong with them? What a waste. Stephen would have made a great rabbi. In a different life, he might have even been one of my students. Oh, well. And there's one less Christian to worry about. So that was my life. Catching and killing Christians. It started in Jerusalem, but that wasn't enough. This movement, the way, was spreading far faster than I had imagined. So I got more letters signed from the chief priests and the Roman government. I used my dual citizenship to its full advantage to take these Christ followers down. I would travel to nearby cities and bring back anyone I found there 
that called themselves a Christian. Once I got them to Jerusalem, they didn't stand a chance. These letters were as good as death sentences. So I set off for Damascus with some of my companions. We were walking down the road, talking, joking around like it was any other day. <sighs> any other day. Little did I know what was about to happen. Just as we were outside the city limits, suddenly a bright light flashed all around me. And then I heard it, a voice. It was almost as if the light was speaking to me. It said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? What? I didn't understand. Who are you? His next word shook me to the core. I'm Jesus. No, 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 no. Jesus was dead. I saw him bleed out on that cross. I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting, Saul. And at his final words, everything went black. I couldn't see. I was blind. I fumbled around in the dark until I found my companions and they led me the rest of the way into the city. They tried to offer me food and drink, but I couldn't. I felt sick. My very soul felt sick. What had just happened? If that wasn't Jesus, then what was going on? But what if it was? Oh no. All those people. Stephen. God, what had I done? I was the one who betrayed you. It was me. I had bad-mouthed you. I cheered while they drove nails in your hands. The whole time, I, I thought I was the good guy. I thought I was doing what you wanted. Now I don't know who I am anymore. I didn't know what to do. What do I do? So I just prayed. I prayed the hardest I have ever prayed before in my life. For three days, I didn't eat, sleep, or drink. I just cried out to God. I must have said I'm sorry over a thousand times. And then on the third day, I got a visitor. A man named Ananias said God had sent him. He was a Christian, so I figured God must have sent him, because what Christian would want anything to do with me after what I had done to them? He put his hands on my eyes, and these things like scales fell out, and slowly my world came back into focus. I could see again. And you'd think I'd be happy. 
but I still felt so lost in darkness. And as if he could read my mind, Ananias said, he wasn't just there to help me see with my eyes. He was there to help me see with my heart. He said, you were wrong, Saul. Jesus was the Son of God. He was exactly who he said he was. And he had died, but he hadn't stayed that way. And now, we can be forgiven for anything. Anything? No. No, not me. Not after what I'd done. Not after who I've been. But he said, Saul, would you like to be forgiven? Yes. Yes, please, yes. And then a Christian prayed for me. A Christian baptized me, Saul, in the name of Jesus Christ. One man went under the water that day, and a different man came out. Everything changed after that. I spent the next few days in Damascus, but instead of arresting people for preaching, I joined them. I was making all these connections from the law and the prophets and the ministry of Jesus. I could quote these prophecies from, from my childhood, word for word, and now explain how it all pointed to Jesus. It all is fulfilled in Jesus. I was filled with this, this fire to speak, this, this passion to preach that I had never experienced before teaching in the synagogues. I had good news and I couldn't keep it to myself. Well, most people call me Paul now. And I don't mind. In fact, I'm, I'm proud of my Roman name. Even though it means small. Because it reminds me that my name must be small so that God's name can be great. I'm the chief of all sinners. The most arrogant idiot of all. But now God shows me off as living proof that he can save anyone from anything. Including you. If you have been wandering around in the dark, Jesus is inviting you into his light. All you have to do is open your eyes. Hopefully that was a powerful opportunity for you to really sit in Saul's seat or walk in his shoes and, and really kind of understand that the authors of Scripture are actual people. They live through actual events and they have powerful stories to tell, not just the words they share in the books that they write of the Bible, but they have powerful stories and a testimony to share about God as well. So really my goal now is to go through and just briefly describe a Bible overview for the book 
of Ephesians. Let's read the first two verses. Ephesians 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So we'll just talk about the author and the audience first. The author, obviously, is Paul. But here's what we need to know about Paul for the purpose of Ephesians. Paul is both a Hebrew of Hebrews, in his own words, from Philippians 3.5, and an apostle to the Gentiles, also in his own words. So uh, Paul is really a man, and maybe you got this from the Vantage story as well, who lives in two worlds. You know, he has two names. He has a Jewish name and a Roman name. Uh, but for him to be Hebrew of Hebrews means he's super Jewish. He himself is a Pharisee. He's the son of a Pharisee. You know, he was educated by one of the greatest rabbis, other than Jesus, obviously, of his day, Rabbi Gamaliel. And he was just, you know, had this great resume for what it meant to be Jewish. And at the same time, he wasn't from Jerusalem. So he's a Roman citizen. He was born as a Roman citizen. He's from Tarsus, over 500 miles north of Jerusalem. And uh, so he would have had friends who weren't only Jewish. He, he knew friends who were Greeks, who were Gentiles. And he's specifically called in Acts chapter 9 by God, not only to share the gospel to Jews, although he does do that in his ministry, but also to minister to the Gentiles. And so he, he really lives in two worlds. And that's really helpful as we look into the situation in Ephesus and really in many churches in the early church where uh, you have this deep divide between Jews and Gentiles. At the point of writing Ephesians, Paul is in prison. In Ephesians 3.1, he calls himself a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And it's difficult, honestly, to nail down exactly which imprisonment this is because Paul was in and out of prison so many times. He had a ministry of suffering. And so likely he's either in Caesarea or in a prison in Rome. Now, the audience, the audience for the book of Ephesians is likely all of Asia Minor. And really, you know, this letter would have been circulated around. But more specifically, Ephesus. Ephesus, what we need to know about Ephesus is it was large, rich, cultured, and pagan. Ephesus was large, uh, especially by ancient standards in the ancient world. Ephesus had, uh, it's estimated, over 300,000 people in the first century. Now, that's huge, right? Uh, and so it was one of the uh, largest cities in Asia Minor at the time. Uh, it was rich. It was a city that was on the coast, and so it was the, the best seaport west of Tarsus. And it you know, would have been this place to go. If you wanted to buy something, if you wanted to make money and do trade, then you would go to Ephesus. It was cultured. I mean, there's been excavations of ancient ruins at Ephesus, and there was a large theater, there was baths, there was gymnasiums, and there was this really impressive architecture. And one of the most impressive things is there was the temple to Artemis, which is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And that brings us to the last point about Ephesus, is Ephesus was pagan. It was this city where, you know, there's this, these mystical cult religions, and there's especially this incredible devotion to the worship of the goddess Artemis. And you see this pagan nature of the city and this culture when uh, Paul spends three years in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. Uh, in fact, Paul goes to Ephesus and he's having some success sharing the gospel. And how do people respond? They bring their witchcraft books 
No joke. They bring their, their sorcery books and their magic books, and they have this massive book burning. And that's really kind of tells us kind of about what Ephesus was like, right? There's these, these pagan religions. In Ephesus, uh, we see the seven sons of Sceva get overpowered by a demon-possessed man, right? And so there's people who are dabbling in, you know, in, into this dark stuff, and, and people are getting demon-possessed. Uh, and then also in Acts chapter 19, we see you know, when the worship of Artemis is threatened, there's a riot in the streets. No joke, there's this riot in the streets, and people are yelling for hours, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And so you can tell that there are some Christians who've come out of that, and you know, their lives were not very righteous before they decided to follow Jesus. And then there are other Christians who come from a Jewish background. You know, it's estimated maybe there, there were 10,000, 20,000 Jews in Ephesus, something like that. And so you had this Jewish contingent of the, of the church in Ephesus, and then you had this Gentile contingent or, you know, from, from a pagan background. And you can see them both, you know, we could say sitting next to each other on a pew on a Sunday. And we can already tell why they wouldn't want to get along, right? The Jews would say, listen, we've been following God all along. We've been righteous all along. And they may, might have this puffed up, this, this proud, this arrogant, self-righteous attitude. And then you have the Gentiles who, who would say, well, you know, why do you think you're better than everybody else, right? And, you know, why can't you just forgive me or, you know, whatever. And, and they might not get things right right away, but they're genuine and devout in their following of Jesus. And so really here's the situation as I would describe it for the church in Ephesus. Christians are united with Christ, but divided from one another. The Christians are, you know, they love Jesus. Everybody loves, everybody in the church, they love Jesus, but they're just having a difficult time getting along or really accepting one another. And this is so important for us because that's the situation we see in the church today, is it not? I mean, you have Christians who are united with Christ and they you know, want to have that personal relationship with Christ and yet they're divided from one another. And for us, it's not, you know, the Jew-Gentile uh, division for us. It's all these fractures and all these cracks that we're seeing where culture is just giving us more and more dividing lines. And so that's why I'm really excited. And I believe the letter to the Ephesians is really important to us. Well, really one of the main points of Ephesians we get to in Ephesians 1 verses 9 and 10. This is part of a doxology uh, that we'll get into next week. But this is what uh, Paul says, he says, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on the earth. So really, for me, this, this really describes why Paul is writing the letter to the Ephesians, is he's trying to let the church know, to let Christians know that really all of history has been moving to this place, has been moving the direction of Jesus being the cosmic king, Jesus being the king of the universe who unites everything, things on heaven and things on the earth. Bible Project has a phenomenal graphic for this, and it pictures, uh, it pictures Jesus as a massive Jesus wrapping his arms around the church with both Jews and Gentiles. You can check out uh, more resources from Bible Project at BibleProject.com, and they even have a great Ephesians overview video. I would encourage you to check that out this week. 
so Paul really has a ministry of reconciliation, and he sees his ministry not only as reconciling people to God by sharing the gospel, but also helping reconcile these divisions within the church and reconcile uh, Jews and Gentiles to, to, to bring reconciliation between Christians. And that's his prayer for us. Paul's prayer for us is that we would see the same thing that he has seen, and it's that, yes, it's important for us to be forgiven and be in right relationship with God, but it's just as important for us to be reconciled with one another. In fact, Paul actually does pray in Ephesians 1, uh, verse 17, for the church. Listen to what Paul prays for, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. So here, we see that Paul prays for us to have a spiritual vision. And I love that phrase, to have the eyes of your heart enlightened. Remember Saul's story where he was blind for three days. Uh, where he was blind while he was, you know, he had seen Jesus, but then, you know, he had something covering his eyes and he needed his literal eyes enlightened. He needed the veil uncovered from his eyes so he could see again. And really what he's praying for us is that we would have the, our eyes unveiled, not the, you know, our, our physical eyes, but the eyes of our hearts to really see the redemption and the unity and the reconciliation that's available by the gospel. Tim Mackey of the Bible Project summarizes, here's his summary statement of letters to the Ephesians. Ephesians is a community guide to comprehending and responding to the apocalypse, I'll explain that in a second, the apocalypse of the crucified and risen king of the cosmos. And this word apocalypse is really an interesting word for Tim Mackey to draw out. It really comes from Ephesians 3. Uh, the Greek apocalypsis means revelation, or unveiling, right? We usually think when we hear the word apocalypse, the end of the world or end times type stuff. And, and that really comes from, you know, the book of Revelation is the apocalypse, right? And yet that word apocalypsis really just means anytime you have, you know, something covered and you unveil it and you can see what's actually there. And we're going to see in Ephesians, uh, Paul uses this language of mystery and enlightenment and, and really going deeper in knowledge and deeper in understanding because that's really what he's experienced. He feels like God has revealed certain things to him about the gospel, and he wants to reveal those to the church. And so Ephesians really follows uh, part one and part two. So the structure of Ephesians is like this. Part one is really what is the gospel? It's the first three chapters. There's very few commands in the first three chapters because Paul is really just trying to kind of pull the veil from our eyes so that we can really understand the gospel, the fullness of God's love and his grace and his mercy on us. And then part two is how do we live in light of the gospel? So that's where we start getting our commands. You know, this is how you should live. This is what you should do. And uh, that's, that's chapters four through six. And so that's really our, our book overview for the letter of the Ephesians. Again, you can check out uh, BibleProject.com if you want to watch Bible Project's book overview, a little bit more in-depth with the specific paragraphs. But like I said, over the summer, we're going to be going literally sentence by sentence and word by word through the entire letter. So for this week, really there's only one practice for you, is would you read Ephesians with open eyes? 
Would you read Ephesians? Maybe you've already read Ephesians before. Maybe you've never read the book of Ephesians before, but would you read Ephesians with open eyes? In fact, my challenge for you is to actually read the letter to the Ephesians twice. Today, would you sit down and read Ephesians in its entirety? Read all six chapters at once. And I know it's, it, you know, six chapters. It's really only a few pages, right? should take you 15, maybe 20 minutes if you're a slow reader. And uh, you can even listen to it. You can get an audio version of the Bible and just listen to the letter to the Ephesians in its entirety. Whenever we go through a Bible book, that's a helpful practice because these are letters that would not have been read, you know, bit by bit. They're letters that would have been read in their entirety. When they showed up at the church, everyone gathered together and you would read the entire letter. Now we can go deeper and we can study paragraph by paragraph, but it's important maybe even the first time you read it to just read it all in one go. And then because there's six chapters for the rest of the days this week, you can just read one chapter a day. So read it all today, read the letter today, and then tomorrow, would you read one chapter? Read chapter two the next day. And, and by the end of the week, you will have read the letter to the Ephesians twice. But don't just read it. I would say read it with open eyes. Like Jesus says, you know, who has ears to hear, who has eyes to see the things of the kingdom. And for us, we want to just be open to what God wants to say to us. And so would you write down questions? Maybe there are questions that pop up or key words that you want to underline that as we go through and study through this book in the summer, you would be ready to, to really go deeper in your knowledge and your understanding of Scripture. So that's my challenge for you this week. Read the letter to the Ephesians with open eyes and allow the Holy Spirit to open the eyes of your heart. Thanks for tuning in to the Hill City Church Podcast. You can find out more about our church at hillcityboise.org. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Hill City Boise. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you follow Jesus with everything.